0: Hey, pull out your bulletin inserts. There's a couple announcements I want to make before we turn to God in worship. First, today following worship, we will be doing bagpacking down at ECS. If any of you have not done that yet, make sure you see San- or Nancy. She would be happy. Mark, Mark is begging you to come and join us. Um, Barney's coming. Carol will be there. there. You got Barney and Carol. How many more do you need? A couple more than that. Hey, come down and join. Come down, (laughs) Mark. Never mind. We're gonna let that go. Um, See Nancy and Mark if you have any questions about that. It's a it's a lot of fun down there. Also, today is uh, the deadline for submissions to the trumpet. If you have anything you want to communicate to the church through our newsletter, make sure you see Nancy about that. Okay. And then on Thursday, February thirteenth, Joy is going to be doing a dinner and a movie. For Valentine's Day, they'll be gathering at Denny's for dinner and then going out to see a movie. The movie's yet not to be determined. We narrowed it down to two. Okay. 1917 or Little Women. Mm. I'm not going to announce those because, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's a movie and dinner, maybe. (laughs) We could consider that, but hey, make sure you see Tom afterwards and let Tom know that you're interested in that. Okay? Hey, there's a whole bunch of announcements on here. Make sure you take Little Women, really? Oh, gosh. Make sure you um, make sure you take time to read these. Okay? Do you have you have an announcement to make? Oh goodness, we're surrounded by Little Women.
1: The question is, is it or is it not a chick flick? Is it? Okay, we're split.
0: Are there any guys that would say it's not a chick flick? Is it a chick flick, Charlie? Okay. No? See? Uh, Thank, you, Charlie.
1: <laughs> Thank you, woke Charlie.
0: We're going to okay. have to better examine you in regards to session. Okay, elders, make sure we okay. check him out again. <laughs> Go okay, on
1: to the announcement. Um, <clears throat> on Friday, February 21st, Mercy Me and Jeremy Camp will be playing the Cavelli Center in Youngstown. Um, so I know there are a couple of people in the congregation who already have tickets, um, but if anybody else is interested in going, um, see me and we can talk about getting a group together to, get, to purchase tickets. Um, there are not, there's not a group rate that we can take advantage of, but um, the seats are all assigned. So if we want to go together and sit together, we would need to purchase tickets together. So if anyone's interested in that, Great. let me know.
0: February when?
1: Friday, February 21st.
0: Oh, so in three weeks, Jeremy Camp and Mercy Me at the Cavelli Center. Yes. Great. So if either of those two groups sound intriguing to you, make sure you see Jackie after worship and get on a list and we'll get some people going to that concert. Any idea about ticket price?
1: I will have to look into that and get back to you.
0: What's it typically about?
1: I think it's probably in the 20 to 30 range.
0: Okay, all right.
1: But I'll I'll get back to you. I, I can have more information next week.
0: Fantastic. All right. Any other announcements that are not in the bulletin insert that we want to note before we turn to God and worship? Anything else? Nothing? All right. Linda, lead us in our call to worship.
1: Good morning. Good morning. Please stand and join me in our call to worship, which comes from Psalm 47. I'll read the part of the leader, and you can read the part of the people. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy.
0: seated all right let's have the kids come forward do we have kids are there any kids yes of course there's kids kids. you're coming all right okay actually I'm not I'm gonna have you guys stand up okay we're gonna start with the game games are good right Yes. (laughs) yes Okay, is anybody familiar with the game, Simon Says? Yeah. Oh. We hate that game. We hate that game. Okay. Uh Oh, Should we have the adults do it then? (laughs) Yeah. Oh. Oh, the adults want to do it. Okay, so how about this? Let's challenge the adults to a game of Simon Says. What do you think? Okay, you guys all take a seat then. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, you all stand up. What? Oh, my goodness. Okay, Simon says, adults, stand up. Oh, heavens, this is going to get ugly. (laughs) Okay, Simon says, touch your head. Simon Simon says, touch your shoulders. Simon says, touch your nose. Simon says, sit back down. Simon says, stand back up. (laughs) Uh, We're going to get exercise in this morning. What do you guys think about that? Okay, Simon says, turn to your neighbor and say hi. Turn to your neighbor and give them a hug. Uh Oh, did Simon say? Okay, those of you who gave hugs, we don't believe in that in Christ, so sit back down. (laughs) Huh, what do you think, how did they do? Okay, Simon says, go ahead adults and sit down. Because we can't give them cookies, can we? No, we don't wanna share cookies. No, oh, okay. Okay, you guys stand up. Oh, Simon didn't say stand up. Simon said, you guys lost already. This game is ridiculous. Okay, Simon says, stand up. Okay, let's have you guys try it. Simon says, touch your shoulders. Simon says, touch your head. Simon says, touch your nose. Simon says, stand on one leg. Oh, hop up and down on one leg. Oh. Simon didn't say hop up and down. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Simon says, grab a cookie. That one's easy, isn't it? Oh, oh. Don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. Do you guys want a cookie? Okay. Simon says, sit back down. Okay. Put your cookie in your mouth. Oh, Simon didn't say, give me back the cookies. Yeah. No. Just spit that cookie out right now, right here. No. Okay. Go ahead and eat your cookies. So here's the deal. So in today's lesson, Paul is going to be talking. He's going to wrap up this idea of there's conflict and division in the church. And there's a critique in particular about Paul himself. And Paul's going to say, you know what I need you guys to do? I need you to actually look at my life, and then I want you to do what I do. I want you to imitate me. Imitate my life in Christ, because it actually looks different than the lives we live that are in the world. That's what Paul's going to do. He's going to play a little game of Simon Says with the church in Corinth, and he's going to say, do what I do. That's going to be our message for this morning. How's that sound? Does that work? You think that'll work? Do you think Paul gave out Oreo cookies to the church in Corinth? No, I don't think so either. Okay, I am going to pray for us, and then I'm going to send you guys back to your seats, and then we're going to jump into the sermon. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts, that they would be acceptable in your sight. For you, Lord, alone are both our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, you guys can grab a seat. Get out of my cookies. No. No. Uh-huh. All right. So, today's title for this sermon is He Eating the Cookies? Are you get- <laughs> There's a bunch of angry adults on the stage up here right now. <laughs> today's title for our sermon is Grow Up Part Three. A, because honestly, it feels like this first part of Corinthians is never gonna end, right? It started when I started this, it started as one sermon. We are currently on our third sermon because what Paul is saying here is actually that important that we can't just blow through it. So I want to recap real quick. Back in chapter one, Paul is responding to a report from some in Chloe's household. There are quarrels. Among those in the church in Corinth where basically people are saying I follow Paul and others are saying I follow Apollos and others I follow Cephas. Now that doesn't sound that bad to me if I'm being honest. I mean does that sound horrible to you? Is it really that big of a deal? But there's something here that has gotten Paul really worked up. So let's, let's look at this from a different angle. Today's the Super Bowl, right? I found out this past week that today was the Super Bowl. And then I found out that the San Francisco 49ers are going to be playing against the Kansas City Chiefs. I didn't know who was playing. It was kind of a rough week. you know. I don't pay attention to this. But anyway, big football game today, right? It's not till 630, so we have plenty of time this morning. So just make yourselves comfortable. Nobody's going anywhere fast. But here's my question for you. Is that game going to create any division and quarreling? A little bit. Not real serious and definitely not here, right? Does anybody actually care? No. (laughs) All right, Helen cares. So stay away from Helen, okay? Um, It's not a big deal. So let's take it one step further. This question is going to be a good one. How have politics evolved over the last several years? Divisive, right? Yeah. Yeah. Don't get me wrong here. Politics have always been divisive, but there is a certain feel to politics that I think is kind of new, at least to most of us. At times in our history, I think Tom would say, there have been really big divisions within politics and today is just another one of those but here's my question again who here has stopped having conversations with family members and friends because it's just too divisive because the amount of energy surrounding politics is just too ugly and there is fighting and there is tears and there's just not enough blood pressure medication for those of you who are actually engaging in these conversations yeah How many of you have actually just stopped watching the news altogether related to politics? Because it's just gotten to be that out of control. Okay. That, I think, is what Paul is talking about. Sports are one thing. But the way politics is dividing our country is what Paul is talking about when he's saying there is division in the church and it is a big deal. It is breaking trust, and it is breaking relationships. And so Paul's been saying, you know what? Grow up and stop being so childish. Stop following the ways of this world and start following Christ. I, Paul, was not crucified for you. You were not baptized into my name. The church is not about those who lead it. The church is about Christ This is the issue that Paul has been addressing, and he is going to wrap up his thoughts on it here in chapter 4. So I encourage you, open your pew Bibles up to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. You'll find it on page 870 in your pew Bibles, and we're going to begin reading with verse 1. So if it's all about Christ, then what do we do with our leaders? How are we going to regard them? This is what Paul says. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries that God has revealed. Now I want to pause at the first verse here because we use NIV, right, the New International Version in our pews. And it's actually the old New International Version. When I'm reading, I'm typically reading from the new New International Version, which seems redundant and ridiculous, but it is how this works. Neither of those two versions actually do a very good job with what Paul said in the original Greek here. They don't, they don't do a good job pulling the nuances out of this text. It more literally reads like this. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ, And as stewards of the mysteries of God. Both of these images are actually very similar in how they work out. So a servant in this context. The word that Paul uses here is better describes an officer or an attendant of someone like a magistrate or a judge. We see it in Matthew 5, 25, and it says this. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, on or your adversary may hand you over to the judge. And the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. That's the first word he's going to use here. An officer or a servant in this context is someone who carries out the orders of someone else. That's our first image, okay? The second image is that of a steward. A steward is someone who was responsible for the household in the absence of a master or a landowner. Often it was a slave who had been put in charge of everything. They had a The master's authority. If you think back to the Old Testament story of Joseph when he's in Egypt, Joseph becomes a steward to Pharaoh. He is next in line. He's a slave, but he's in charge of everything. Those are our two images. Paul is saying that we are officers and stewards. We have the authority that comes from Christ himself. Now, this is important because we have to remember that Paul is writing to a church that is only three to four years old. It's, it's the first time that the gospel, the good news has come to Corinth. And so Paul has planted this church. And the idea of church has only been around for about 20 years when he's writing this letter. It's only been 20 years since Jesus' death and resurrection. There is no New Testament. There are no traditions. The church was brand new. And so how does the church in that situation, how does the church in that setting know what is appropriate or not appropriate? Let's continue on reading verse 2. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. And again, we need to pause for a moment because the Greek more literally reads, in this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. That those who are in charge of the church at the beginning, that they have to be trustworthy. I, carry, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear. But that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. And therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. So Paul is saying, as officers and stewards... We are held accountable to God and to God alone. Because what we are doing is actually carrying out his orders. We have been called and sent by him. Paul's responding to a specific situation involving himself in the church in Corinth. Someone or some group in that church is passing Judgment, And in this situation, he is saying, you know what? My conscience is clear. I'm not innocent, but I am confident in the task that I have been given because it has come directly from the Lord. We don't know what that conflict is. It could be that someone is concerned with Paul's life prior to his conversion, back when he was ruthlessly persecuting the church. I mean, that would throw some red flags, wouldn't it? If you had heard about Paul's life before he had come to know Christ, would you actually trust him as the leader and founder of the church? Again, we don't know. And without a New Testament, without any traditions, how would you know? Who would you follow in that situation? Would you follow Paul? Would you follow Apollos? Would you follow Cephas? Verse 6, now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written, and then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over and against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive and if you did receive it, then why do you boast as though you did not? Again, both Paul and Apollos are stewards and officers. And everything that the church in Corinth has learned has come from them. God has used these two to birth the church in Corinth. And so basically, if it's God who has created the church through them, then why In such a short period of time, does the church see itself in a position above these two? What authority would the church have to offer judgment in that situation? It's pretty bold if they are. Thinking back to college or your first job. Think about this. After three years, would you have felt comfortable challenging your professor or your boss as an equal or as someone in a position of authority over them? To drive this point home, Paul is going to utilize sarcasm. I do hear it now. Verse 8. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign and that without us. You know, the only situation in which the church could legitimately offer a critique or a judgment is if Christ had returned. That's what Paul's point is. We see it in the language of this, this the language of reign. right? When Christ returns, he is going to establish his reign. And we are promised that we will become co-heirs with him. We will become all that God intends us to be. And then, and only then, will we see clearly enough to make the kind of judgment that Paul is putting down. Only then will we fully understand. The problem with this idea, with what Paul is pointing out, is that Apollos and himself, well, they're not reigning. So if Christ returned, then he must have excluded us in his return. He's being sarcastic because he really wants to drive this home. He says, How I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession. Like those condemned to die in the arena, we have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as human beings. We are fools for Christ. But you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored and we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. We are cursed. And when we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly We have become the scum of the earth and the garbage of the world right up to this moment. Paul's point is this. Look at my life. Look at me. You wouldn't say that I am reigning. What you will see is that I am suffering. I am suffering for Christ This is what a trustworthy officer and steward looks like. We are fools. We are weak. We are dishonored. We are hungry and thirsty and in rags. We are brutally treated and homeless. When cursed, we bless. When persecuted, we endure it. When slandered, we respond with kindness. We are suffering for Christ because Christ suffered for us. Paul's question is what about you? Look at your own lives. What do they look like? Paul's going to go on and he's going to conclude, beginning with verse 14. I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Again, I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, You do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. And therefore, I urge you, imitate me. For this reason, I have sent you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. And he will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. Anybody can do that. The kingdom of God is a matter of power. So what do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, or shall I come to you in love and with a gentle spirit? Stop Judging and start imitating. Imitate my way of life in Christ Jesus. Think about it this way. Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul says that in Philippians. Jesus suffered. He was persecuted, and then he was crucified. Paul, again, speaking of himself and Apollo, said, we are fools. We are weak. We are dishonored. We are hungry and thirsty and in rags. We are brutally treated and homeless, and when cursed, we blessed when persecuted we endure it and when slandered we respond with kindness because we are imitating Christ Paul is saying if you have any questions any doubts and just look at my life because i think it speaks for itself Again Paul is responding to this report about division in the church division regarding who is most important Paul or Apollos and Peter And Paul is saying, if I wanted to be popular, if I wanted to be important, this is not the path I would have chose. This is not what I wanted out of life. So here's what it comes down to. It's been an interesting four chapters. Paul's got so much to say here. But how do we apply what Paul is saying to the church today? What is the question? As we read chapter 4, what is the question that comes to your mind? Anyone? Any questions come to your mind? How can, I be weak? how can I be weak and still do
1: what he wants
0: me to do? Okay, how can I be weak and still do what he wants me to do? What's amazing is that God has done all kinds of things through weakness. It's actually the only way he chooses to work. He doesn't work through power, which is really intriguing because throughout history, the churches sought Power, not weakness, to express who they follow. You know, I, I read this text, and what jumps out at me is, our pastors and church leaders above critique? That's what this, this text screams out at me. Are pastors and leaders of the church above judgment? Does the church have the right to critique us? to challenge us, to judge us. You know, at times, this is how it works in the church, right? Aren't there leaders of the church that claim the level of authority that Paul is talking about? Aren't there pastors who have said, I am a servant of Christ, I am a steward of the mysteries of God. You have no responsibility, no right to question or challenge me. Have you ever been in that position? No. I feel like I've looked throughout the history of the church, and the pastors and the leaders stand in that position all the time. It created the division in the church in all reality. You know, as a pastor, the idea that I would have that much power and authority actually makes me a bit uncomfortable. Because what Paul's telling me is, it's not about me. It's about Christ. In James, (laughs) I love this text. In James, it says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers. Not many of you should become teachers. Because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. You know, James is offering up a warning to those who want to be leaders in the church. And what he is doing, in my opinion, is reinforcing what Paul is saying here. When he says, God will be the one who judge us, us, and he will do it more strictly than the church ever could. Pastors and leaders need to be cautious with the authority that has been given them. You know, it's because of that text in James. I came across that very, earthly, very early in my, in my faith. It's because of that text in James that I really did not want to become a pastor. I avoided seminary like the plague. I didn't go to seminary until I was 40 because I really did not want this job. The idea that I will be judged more critically than you, I'd rather just be you. That terrifies me. If we take serious God's holiness and what he expects, then that's, that's a little more than I think I actually really want to be responsible for. We have to remember that Paul's speaking in a very specific moment in history to a very specific situation And I think verse 9 is probably the best verse to help us understand what's going on. Because he says, for it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display. We all know that the apostles had a very specific type of leadership that ended in the early life of the church. They were servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And it is their words that have been recorded for us. It is their words that continue to shape and guide the church through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, what Paul's actually saying, I don't think applies to pastors today. I think we are are accountable to our churches. And in particular, in the Presbyterian church, as a pastor, I am accountable to our session which is why it is critical that our session have godly people on it that understand scripture. And when I go off the rails, if I were to go off the rails, not when, if (laughs) I were to go off the rails, I'm not going off any rails, I hope. But if that were to happen, it's the responsibility of the session to call me to account in that moment before things get out of control. What Paul is speaking to, again, is a very specific moment in history. And to think about the church challenging the apostles, that's what Paul's addressing. That's ludicrous. And it's not the situation in the church today. So here's what's interesting. A couple weeks ago, I had a gentleman came through the church while I was in my office, and he stopped and he wanted to talk with me. He's an elder in his church, and there's a problem that has arisen in their church, and he wanted to kind of debrief it with me. I didn't know this guy. It was kind of a funny situation. But anyway, this is what happened. In their church, the church pays the pastor's mileage. They reimburse them monthly for travel expenses, right, for doing visitations and different things. And he said, you know, the, church, the pastor had been submitting a bill for about $250 a month for travel expenses, And he said, as an elder board, we kind of came back to the pastor and said, you know, we'd actually, we need you to record the travel. We need to be a little better with our accountability for this. And he said that next month, the pastor submitted uh, his expenses, and it came out to be like 80 bucks. And he said over the next several months, it was a much lower amount than what he had originally been offering. And that particular situation started to create this division and fracture within the church where the church's trust of the pastor and the pastor's trust of the church is completely breaking down. To the point where he said, you know, I've had to actually step off our elder board because it's actually getting ugly in the church. You know, I still remember Robbie's sermon her last sermon in this church. Robbie was an interim, one of two interims, before I took over leadership of this church. And in that sermon, I sat over there with Nick and the kids. Um, Robbie placed three envelopes on the podium here. In the first envelope, she said, represented the first major crisis in the church between me and you. The first time we come against one another where we really get into it. And she said what that represents is strike one in the church. The second envelope is the second major conflict that you and I would have, and it would represent strike two. The third envelope should have my letter of resignation in it, and it is something I should offer to the church if we were to ever get to that point. Because basically what she was saying is is if you get to that level of distrust between the congregation and the pastor, we are no longer being the church that God intended. If there is that kind of division in the church, then we're destroying what God is trying to build. I think what we can take out of this passage is Paul is encouraging us to trust one another to really lean into each other. He is saying, pastors, prove yourselves trustworthy by the lives you live, and congregants, be slow to judge. Because we both can make a mess out of this. We both have the ability to create division within the church. And as he said earlier in these chapters, he said the one who brings division to the church? Woe to that person because God will destroy them. You guys have lived through this kind of division. Pause. We have to avoid this at all costs. It's not about who is right and who is wrong, it's about moving beyond any kind of division in the church. You know, there are certain churches that just chew up pastors. I think you guys have heard about those kind of churches. Because I'm a pastor, I spend time with other pastors. I hear stories about churches that just go through pastor after pastor after pastor. Because they don't trust the authority that the pastor carries as one who has studied and taken the responsibility for leadership. It's not absolute authority. We have to be clear on that. It's not the authority that Paul is describing in chapter 4. But we have studied and we have wrestled with God's word. And congregations need to trust that. They need to give a pastor a little bit of room there. On the other hand, while pastors are set apart, we are not infallible. We do make mistakes. And when we take on the responsibility of leadership, we need to do it in humility, not drawing attention to ourselves because it's not about ourselves. You know, in my own life, I have led in various contexts. It happened when I served in college ministry. It happened when we worked for a development project in Haiti. And it even happens now as your pastor. And I try, I try with everything that I am to live my life imitating Paul's life in Christ. When Paul says we are fools, we are weak, And we are dishonored. I try to take that seriously. The we are hungry and thirsty and in rags. Yeah, homeless. I'm not really in that situation at all. I do fairly okay in that place. But Paul's going to come back to that one. And he's going to address that later in Corinthians. So that one doesn't necessarily apply. He says, when we are cursed, we should bless. When we are persecuted, we should endure it. And when we are slandered, We should respond with kindness. Eh, Those are a little more tricky in my life. But I am working on those through the power of the Spirit. Paul doesn't want the pastors to suffer. I don't think Paul was seeking out suffering himself. You know, there are times that Paul wrestled with ministry. When Paul was in Corinth, the Lord spoke to him and the Lord said to him, He said, do not be afraid, which means that Paul was afraid. Do not be afraid, but keep on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. When Paul was in Corinth, doing ministry in Corinth, there was something even then that was tricky for him. There was something that was hard. You know, Paul was afraid. But what he willingly did was follow Christ wherever Christ led him. And I think that's the message to us. To both pastors and congregants is that whatever Christ is calling us to do, whatever we discern that calling is together, we need to follow him. We are not to seek the position of power in this world, but we are to seek the position of weakness. We are servants of Christ. If Paul's point is imitate my life in Christ, then how are we going to do that? How are we going to model our faith for those who will follow us? What do we as a church want to leave behind for the generations yet to come, for the future future? Church, And I think this is one of the hardest questions that churches and pastors wrestle with. But are we willing to set aside what we desire, what we wish, so that Christ can speak to a new generation? I think it's probably one of the most scary questions we can ask. But God is saying to us, do not be afraid, because I am with you. If you have to make change then do it. Don't worry, I'm not advocating any big changes right now. That's not what this is about. This is just about this text. And it's about the relationship that a congregation and a pastor has to have if we are going to be faithful in following Christ. And just in case you are still afraid, in case you feel like I have suffered enough, we can't touch that picture, In case you're feeling that way, then God is saying, remember the cross. Remember what Jesus went through to show us just how much he loves us. Today we come to the Lord's table, and it is his table because it was his blood that bought it. It's not Mike's table. It's not our table table, it's not a Presbyterian table, it is Christ's table, and all are invited to it who claim Jesus as both their Lord and their Savior. In just a moment, Linda is going to invite us to join us in, her, in our corporate prayer of confession. During communion weeks, we like to extend the time of silence so that you can have time to sit with God. In prayer, speaking your heart and listening for his voice as you prepare to receive communion. We're gonna move from that time of silent prayer directly into hymn number 326, softly and tenderly. And so I'm gonna invite you to join us when you want to. If you wanna stand during that hymn, stand during that hymn. If you wanna sit during that hymn, sit during that hymn. If you wanna climb out into the aisle and kneel, Then kneel. There has to be some freedom in the context of worship for us to meet with God and to hear from him. So it's the one time that we invite a little bit of that freedom into worship. And the only other thing is is that you notice there is no assurance of pardon following our confession of sin. I don't stand here and pronounce that over you. Because the table does that for us. If you ever doubt Christ's love for you, if you ever feel like what I have done is just too much, Paul persecuted the church. He threw his brothers and sisters into jail. He stood by as Christians were stoned. And yet he says, My conscience is clear. I'm not innocent but I'm his. If you've ever questioned God's love for you, you have to remember the extent to which he went through for you. He loves us that deeply that he suffered unbelievably for our sakes. All right, Linda, you want to lead us in our prayer of confession?
1: Um. Do they need to stand? Nope. Okay. Our prayer of confession is based on Psalm 51. Let us pray. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities.
0: So God meets with us in the sacrament of communion through his Holy Spirit, uniting us to Christ and to Christ's death and his resurrection. So let us give thanks as we pray. It is with joy that we praise you, God. We rejoice that in Jesus' death and resurrection, what you set before us is the promise of a new life. A new life that begins today and that has no end. Gracious Lord, we ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these gifts of bread and juice. By your Spirit, as we eat and drink, we ask that you would make us one with Christ. Through Christ, with Christ, in Christ, In the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor are yours, eternal God, now and forevermore. Amen. So the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, the night he was betrayed, he took bread and after giving thanks to God, he broke it and he gave it to the disciples saying, take and eat This is my body given to you. In the same way, after the meal had been finished, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant. It has been sealed by my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take this in remembrance of me. He's saying that every time we eat this bread and we drink from this cup, what we remember is that Christ died for us, that we may lay down our lives for others. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come forward, and I think you all know how this works. You come forward, I will offer you the bread. Take and eat that piece of bread with me. And then go and receive the cup from Jeremy or from Carol. And don't drink the cup, but take it back to your seat until all have been served. Once we've all been served, then we will take the cup together as one body, symbolizing our unity in Christ. So eat the bread and take the cup. Yeah, we'll leave it at that. If you need gluten-free, we have that option. Just make sure that you ask me when you come forward. All right. The blood of Christ, which has been shed for us all. Please stand as we sing the song, you are my all in all. may be seated all right so we'll turn to our bulletin insert once again into the list of prayer concerns that we find there a couple quick updates um barbara asked that we pray for her granddaughter um kelsey and her husband john who are currently in belize both of them are right there now Yeah, so be in prayer for them. They are on a missions trip. Hold them up in there. Um, Janie Weigel is, her surgery has come back around. They're planning on it actually for Valentine's Day for February 14th. So the doctor is comfortable with her blood pressure and so they're going to go ahead and move forward with that. So keep Janie in your prayers as well. And then there are two people that have, recently passed away, Lois Carey, who is the cousin of Bev Pitts, and Jean English, who is a coworker of Nancy. So we'll be praying for their family and friends. Nancy, how's Daryl doing? Why is he not in church today? What's his deal? Did he just like have his hip replaced? Good, good, good. He likes donuts. If you want to go visit him, make sure you bring donuts with you. He'll let you actually stay and hang out. Are there any other prayer concerns, updates you would like to add? Okay. Okay. So prayers for a lock-in on February 13th. Those are a lot of fun. Great. Go ahead, Nick. So, Stephen Miriam had responsibility for Chase for the first five years of his life, and through a whole bunch of ugly things, it just continues to get crazier and more ugly. And they're just praying that he would be able to come back to them and they would be able to move on in that situation. So, keep them in your prayers. Go ahead, Carol. So let's pray for Tom Woods, um, for his knee. (laughs) I'm sure that's driving him nuts. Go ahead, Jeannie. So, Jeannie is asking for prayers for her son David, whose health continues to just be a struggle. Um, and the issue he's fighting right now is an abscess that he has in his tooth. So, being prayers for a resolution for that. Yeah, and then upcoming tests. Go ahead, Jenna. Um, well, my he really um, he's only 12, and they just found that he has a mask. Cool. Okay. Okay. What's his name? Sean. Sean. All right. All right, so Jenna is asking for prayers for Sean who is twelve. They have a mass on the heart. It, so it is cancerous? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So he will. Be, All right. So he will be going on chemo then. Okay. All right. So be in prayer for Sean. Go ahead. Okay, so Edie is asking for prayers for Olivia Grace and her husband, or her dad, Keith. Um, Yeah, it is a terminal situation, so, yeah. Okay? Okay? All right. Good. Anything else? All right. All right, then, let us turn to God in prayer. Lord, we give you thanks for the life, death, and for the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. In in particular this morning, for the open table that you invite us to, a space where we can meet with you and be transformed, it is the sign of the promise that one day we will actually sit with you at a grand feast. Lord... We lift up those we know most intimately. We lift up friends and family members. We pray for Pedro and David, for Dick and Bernie, for Daryl, for Kelsey and Johnny, and for Bob and Bev. We add to that list this morning Tom Woods and Olivia and her father Keith, the upcoming lock-in on February 13th. Lord, we pray for all those who are being treated for cancer, for Belle and Krista, for Shannon and Rich, for Brenda and Brooke, for Harrison and Debbie and George and Shirley, for Jim and Kathy, for Kim and Nancy, for Mark and Luke, for Ed and Rhonda and Shirley, for Patty and Christopher and Rick and Arlene, for Susan and Alex, for Pete, Mrs. Weaver and Janie. Lord, into that list we add Sean, and for this cancer that he is dealing with that sounds just utterly destructive. Lord, bring healing to him and bring comfort to his family. Father, we lift up the friends and the family of Lois Carey and Jean English as they mourn those losses. Lord, bring comfort to them We pray for those who are currently serving in the armed service, and we remember all who have served, were given their lives in the act of service. We pray for our sister churches here in the valley, for First United Methodist of Sharon, and for Hickory United Methodist in Hermitage. And Lord, we take a moment of silence as we lift any prayer concerns that were not spoken out loud. Lord, we lift these prayers to you in the strong name of Jesus Christ, who is both our Lord and our Savior and the one who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please take a moment, if you've not yet done so, put your name in our pew pads. We would appreciate that. So Paul encourages us through his letter to the church in Ephesus to love as Christ loved by giving himself up for us as an offering and a sweet-smelling sacrifice to God. At this time, as we continue in worship, (laughs) We will receive your offerings. Let us give thanks. God of wonder, we offer you these humble gifts, signs of your goodness and mercy. Receive them with our gratitude that through us, all people may know the riches of your love in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Our closing hymn will be hymn number 382, Be Thou My Vision. So, as we follow Ryan from the sanctuary this morning with the light of Christ, we really are called to imitate Paul, who is actually just imitating Christ, go out into the world in love, where every, everywhere you go. Here now, this is benediction. May the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard your hearts. And your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen.
1: Mm-hmm. I hate like i Let me come down on your level.
2: In the closet in there?
1: I'll got it.